You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Emma Sassik's interview with the Academy Award-nominated cinematographer for Empire of Light, two-time Academy Award winner, Roger Deakins. Phil, it's just static frames with darkness in between. There's a little flaw in your optic nerve. So if I run the film at 24 frames per second, it creates an illusion of motion. An illusion of life. So you don't see the darkness. Out there, I just see a beam of light. Nothing happens without light. Well, uh, I know that for many of my colleagues who are on the Next Best Picture team with me, I know that they are very jealous of our conversation today. Uh, uh. <laughs> but it really is such a pleasure to be able to speak with somebody so talented and with such a diverse collection of films as yourself. Um, and certainly you keep adding to it, and especially with this one, with Empire of Light, yet another Oscar nomination for you with this film. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Does it ever get uh, old, that feeling? I don't know if you woke up early to see the nominations roll in or not, but, um, you know, how did you, how would you describe that morning just a few weeks ago? I think I was actually out on the beach. <laughs> I go out early for a, a run, walk or run on the beach mm-hmm. when I'm not working. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised. I mean, I was actually very surprised this year. But oh, I my mean, goodness. Yeah, but it was oh, it was a nice surprise. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Are, have you fully settled into, uh, do you live here in Los Angeles full time? Um, well, I, yeah, full time, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, we still, my wife and I still have a place, uh, a flat in uh, England, in okay. Devon. Okay, uh-huh. I'm sure you where I was brought up, actually. But I mean, we basically live in Santa Monica, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm sure you are very happy enjoying the sunshine almost every single day compared to rain and, and cold it's, weather. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nice things about both places. I, I You know, when I'm here, I kind of still miss Devon and vice versa. So there you are. We're very lucky to have the best of both worlds. I agree. I'm from the Midwest area here. Uh, Uh So I I grew up in Chicago. I I can't say that I miss the snow too much. However, there are definitely a lot of interesting things about that city that I miss versus being here in in the middle of an actual desert. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. With Empire of Light, this film obviously deals with cinema and the love that we share for these movie theaters that, you know, we get to escape into once we go watch a film. I'd love to know, do any memories of you going to the cinema as a child stick out to you? And, you know, were those formative moments in your life, which has led to quite a illustrious career for yourself? Well, um, yeah, I'm old enough to remember before there was television. (laughs) Um, the first actually the first movies I saw were (laughs) in my uh my father had uh a projector I think he'd 
He, I think it was. He, I think it was a pro, a trophy he had brought back from the war. Oh, like he had okay. A projector and a little portable screen, and he used to show cartoons in the attic because oh, at that time you could rent cartoons from the local post office. Mm-hmm. They'd be like little nine millimeter reels of uh, Felix the Cat or, or Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> and um or mickey mouse and we would sit and watch these cartoons in the attic i guess i must have been four or five that's oh, my wow. first memories of uh, movies and um but then later um there was a little film society when i was school a little film society opened up mm-hmm. in torquay where i grew up and um i joined this film society in the winter there wasn't much to do in the town mm-hmm. and um I would go to this film society and they would show all, all different kind of movies, most mostly European movies. Mm-hmm. And um, that was, I remember that very much. I think that was the first time I really understood that, got to understand the power that movies could have, you know? Did you in that moment also um, did an interest spark with you for wanting to be involved in movies in some way? Or did that come later on in life for you? Well, I think the reality is that I, that I loved movies. I mean, the, these all these movies I saw and then I, there were six cinemas within walking distance. So oh, I could yeah. <laughs> and walk to a cinema and see, you know, mainstream movies. Mm-hmm. And also we're very lucky in talkie at that time they would they would have like preview shows of movies they would test the movie in talkie and around the southwest because they figured there was that was a kind of average audience for some reason yeah so we would see (laughs) these movies maybe a few months even before they were on wide release so i saw a lot of movies but you couldn't really connect that with your life Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I had no idea it would be possible to work in the film industry. I mean, right. it was just that was just ridiculous. It didn't even cross your mind. <laughs> my friends, you know, my dad was um, a builder. I used to work as a painter or whatever the, over the holidays on with him. And um, most of my friends were into fishing, you know, mm-hmm. and some were professional fishermen. And so the idea of being in a film industry, it was like that was another, might as well have thought about traveling to Mars or something. I mean, it didn't compute <laughs> at all, you know. And it's interesting how both of those things are possible. Maybe maybe we're still a few ways away from traveling to Mars, but it seems like we're yeah, on our way. <laughs> a bit longer than you think, I yes. say, but there we yes. are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess that also kind of leads into uh, another part of this film about, I know as I was watching it, it's an interesting study about all of these different characters and people who work in the empire cinema. And I know that when I was younger, when I would work odd jobs during the summertime, I definitely met a few oddball characters myself. Uh, Do you have any stories or memories of people who have kind of stuck out to you uh, throughout your life, whether it be your, you know, sometimes that you spend painting, um, or working with your parents' uh, jobs, if you collaborated with them much when you were younger? Well, I I mean, I remember the, the guys I used to work with on the building sites with my mm-hmm. dad, that's for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, they were a really 
interesting mix of people <laughs> because a couple of them were Polish refugees that had, okay. had left Poland in the war. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there was there was a very interesting mix of people that I got to know. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, but that was kind of my world. Yeah. You know, I didn't. My, my mother, so my mother died when I was very young, so I didn't really have uh, connections on that side of the family. Mm -hmm. But you know, all through my life, I mean, I started off after um, going to art college and film school. I, I I shot documentaries for many years and I traveled places in Africa and India and different places and met, yeah, and all sorts of wonderful people. And that really kind of opens your mind to a whole, yeah. Absolutely. A whole world you wouldn't normally see if I know living in, you know, where one had grown up, you know. Absolutely. With this film, this is yet another collaboration that you have with Sam Mendes. What do you think it is about him as a director and you as a cinematographer that really leads to such a successful creative relationship? Because I've definitely enjoyed several of the projects that you both have worked on together. Yeah, I don't know. You know, you just hit it off with somebody, don't you? I mean, it's just in, in any walk of life, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and particularly on a film, you know, it can be kind of intense on a set. You kind of it is kind of stressful and you're with somebody, you know, for quite a long period. So, yeah, I mean, you know, some people you connect with and 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 it works good and some people you don't connect <laughs> with so well, you know, it's mm -hmm. just that's that's life, really. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm sure that collaboration changes with every single project that you two are on. I'm sure 1917 is much different from Empire of Light uh, when it comes to both of your work. Um, you know, what can you what can you share about this process? And especially when it came to finding the perfect location for this film, I understand that uh it was first considered to be filmed in the South Coast seaside town of Brighton, but then ultimately Margate ended up being the location that was chosen. Yeah, well, with, with any film, I mean, Sam's films are very different, which is part of the joy of working on his films because yes. they're very, very different. <laughs> you're, you're kind of not, you're not just doing something. Oh, well, that's we'll just do that again. You know, it's it's they're always a challenge and very different and. Um, and a lot of the early time is spent just going through the script, just discussing the script, and then just kind of starting to visualize it. Okay, where where is this set? What would it, what what does this feel like? Mm -hmm. And uh, Sam had written it for Brighton on the south coast, yes, because that's that it was part of his personal experience. Mm -hmm. But um, so we scouted, you know, some of these towns, Brighton, Worthing, and Eastbourne, and places, but we couldn't find anywhere that that really fit in terms of practically shooting. Mm -hmm. um, and then we were shown this place, um, Dreamland in Margate, it was as an option. And it was really up to Sam because it was a kind of very different look, um, Margate, the town and the cinema itself, this Dreamland cinema um, was very different than he had in his mind. And um, but it was so that that was the choice he had to make. But it, it was too seemed too good an opportunity to turn down, really, because sure. there was the cinema, and there was the sort of attached. Um, there was a fairground, quite mm -hmm. basic. There was a a, a a 
um, a, a roller skating rink that was kind of period. There was, um, and then we found there was an upstairs ballroom, abandoned ballroom. And this all seemed too good to be true. <laughs> things that were referred to in the script. So yeah. we were very lucky, really. And then the biggest piece of luck was that even though the lobby of the existing cinema didn't work script wise just staging wise for for the script mm -hmm. there was a, a vacant lot a few doors away mm -hmm. so we could basically build a set in the vacant lot with a mm -hmm. view out on the promenade onto the promenade that would match the the location so and you know one was in walking distance of the other so it was very practical in terms of of, of shooting a film don't you know that you're a grown-up I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You you can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> From your eyes as a cinematographer, did you also feel like, you know, this is exactly what maybe you had envisioned for this film as well? Did it seem like it would work based on all that you had to capture based on what Sam had written in the script? Yeah, I, I saw it. Margate, to me, sort of made more sense, frankly, especially because yeah. Brighton is quite, uh, yeah, parts of Brighton anyway, the front of Brighton is quite gentrified. Mm. And I imag imagined a town that was slightly a bit a bit more down, a bit mm. more faded, and Margate is a bit faded. I mean, the people are putting more money into it now, so it will change quite quickly, but there's right. still parts of it that are quite quite run down and I, I felt that suited the um the story myself and and the characters uh the characters environment so I yeah I was I was uh I was in favor of Margate um, yeah yeah <laughs> you hit mm. the jackpot with this one <laughs> it was great I mean I because we also looked at different locations in on North Yorkshire and all sorts of places oh, you know okay. which are very very different and uh to to the south coast Absolutely. Um, but uh, Margate was, a, a, I think, a nice balance between kind of a aging sort of Georgian Victorian seaside town. And, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, it was nice. It was good. You know, I couldn't help but admire just the different contrast that your work brings to this film, um, you know, showing the the coldness of that seaside climate. Uh, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure the foggy skies and the gray weather also helped contribute to that as well. But then also bringing out the warmth of the cinema and just all of these different uh, rooms inside of that space. Um, what were some of the most important elements that you wanted to capture with both of these areas, both the exterior and the interior? Well, I think you put your finger on it, really. I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you wanted to contrast the kind of, you know, the bleakness, the expanse of the the the, the ocean beyond, and uh, 
and with the kind of warmth of the cinema where you know where Hillary's character you know Hillary just feels more at home it's something mm -hmm. inviting you know you wanted to get that sort of contrast that the kind of the the interior of the cinema itself screen one you know the sort of opulence and the sort of far away nature of it you know the <laughs> fantasy nature of it yes so yeah it was important to contrast those things you know and the blandness of the hospital the kind of sadness of the the doctor's office and mm -hmm. yeah you know I mean you kind of play with those things as contrasts yeah that's part of what you do you know uh -huh. would you say that the scenes concentrated within the cinema itself were I don't know maybe the more uh the fun ones to shoot for you or uh did you also enjoy that challenge with the the bleakness of this world outside I just challenges every everything has a certain challenge attached to it you know especially mm -hmm. when you haven't got a huge budget but even then expectations go higher so maybe that doesn't really shift <laughs> um no I the thing about shooting in the lobby was you know trying to control the the interior exterior relationship you know because mm -hmm. it is like it was like shooting on a yeah, basically you're shooting on location on exterior because you're always seeing the exterior. So just just keeping that balance between the interior of the lobby and the exterior view mm -hmm. was kind of a challenge. I mean, a lot of sort of technical challenges, but um, but it's all part of it. I, I I love I love the job because it is you know it's instinctive creative but it's also highly technical you know I love that sort of blend really it never it never becomes too routine or too simplistic for you it seems it's all there's always something there to raise a question mark over how is this the best way to capture this or to illuminate something well I think that's the way because there is no right way to do anything mm -hmm. and there's no best either right I mean what is best <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, mm -hmm. you're constantly just trying. I mean, I I feel I enjoy it because I'm challenging myself as much as anything. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a stress level because you're trying to, you have to create, you have to produce something for everybody else, the director, mm -hmm. the studio, everybody else on the film. But really the challenge I find the biggest challenge I'm setting myself really yeah expectation from of myself you know mm -hmm. and that's that's sort of yeah it's kind of odd really because <laughs> <laughs> you never get it right it's impossible to get it right because there is no right you're and always it's, constantly it's so searching for something that is not actually attainable you know yeah and I'm sure that is so frustrating <laughs> well it, in a way it is in yeah. a way it is but then you know <laughs> you work on a film and you see a film and you you put so much into it and you spend you know weeks or whatever timing the final thing mm -hmm. and then it's gone and then you watch it you know five or ten years later and you think oh well that's not so bad really <laughs> yeah. and I I think with your style specifically I 
I feel like I can always recognize your work, especially when it comes to uh, the way you play with silhouettes and shadows. Even if I don't know that you are the cinematographer attached to that project, I would love to know how how do you describe your style and perhaps the strengths that you have uh over so many years of doing this craft and and trying to perfect it with each film. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of interesting because I'm always incredibly nervous on a on a film, especially oh on the first day of a shoot, and it's mm -hmm. never got any easier. Oh no! <laughs> uh, in fact, it probably gets worse because I put more kind of pressure on myself in a way. Yeah. But I I got to know Conrad Hall very well. Mm -hmm. uh, a lovely man, and I consider him one of the, one of, the, if not the greatest cinematographer ever. And he said to me once, "Yeah, we were talking about this." He said, "Yeah," he said, "the first day on set is terrible." <laughs> he said, "Sometimes I just get to the camera and I put my eye to the eyepiece and I'm looking, and I know nobody will come up to me because they think I'm concentrating, <laughs> but I'm not really. I'm just terrified and thinking oh. I don't know how to do this." Oh, and coming from him, I thought, wow, OK. Yeah. And he feels the same as I do. You know, mm -hmm. that every every time it's like you're starting again, you're, which is the good thing, really, because you're mm -hmm. open. You're not kind of turning up on set and saying, oh, I'm going to do what I did on Shawshank or what I did on whatever. You know, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. um, you're coming to it from a fresh starting point. But um, so that was really, I thought, really interesting. He was a really interesting guy. It's almost like the first day of school every single time you're on a project. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got to find the find the film. I mean, when we when I used to shoot documentaries, we would often sort of say, well, we would throw away the first week of shooting, but you could do that on the documentary kind of a feature film. <laughs> you need every little bit that you can get. <laughs> yeah, well, you suddenly start, you start on day one and that's it. It's like a roller coaster ride. You have to produce every mm -hmm. day for however many days it is, up yeah. to 103 days. I think there's the longest schedule I've ever done. Oh, wow. And, and every day you have to produce something. So, you know. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, going back to, uh, you know, the the question and talking about some of those nerves that do somehow find their way to you too on set, um, I guess, what would you say are your strengths as a cinematographer? I mean, we, we see the beautiful finished product and uh, we see uh, so many beautiful accolades come your way for it. But, you know, it's also it's also interesting to hear from the person himself what you feel like are the, the strongest qualities that you have and perhaps the things that you're still working on to this day. <laughs> <laughs> it's very kind of you to say, but I can only I can see a lot of weaknesses. I don't know. No. <laughs> My strengths, I, I, I don't know. I'm a very simple person. <laughs> really? <laughs> is simplicity a strength? Maybe. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I, I think that that is a great strength at the end of the day. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't really know. I hope that I think more about the story mm -hmm. than I do about the cinematography. Okay. <laughs> I think that's important. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's not about producing pretty images it's about communicating a story mm -hmm. and bringing it to life at the end of the day yeah yeah my strengths I, I don't know 
I will say I would not mind watching a highlight reel of your prettiest uh, scenes captured, (laughs) even if there's no, even if there might be no story attached to it. I'm sure myself and many others would also enjoy watching that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mr. Deakins, I just want to thank you so very much for your time today. It was such a pleasure to be able to speak with you and, and learn a little bit more about the journey that you went on with Empire of Light and I know that I am very excited to see all that comes next, even if there might be some nerves on set on that (laughs) first day. (laughs) Certainly will be. All right. Well, thank you very much. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Emma Sasek's interview with the Academy Award nominated cinematographer for Empire of Light, two-time Academy Award winner Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards for Best Cinematography for Empire of Life from Searchlight Pictures. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.